Independence Day has come and gone, but not if you're French, a Francophile, or just in the mood for a little revolutionary revelry. Tuesday is Bastille Day. The French national holiday commemorates the storming of the Bastille Prison in Paris in 1789 and the onset of the French Revolution. Bonjour, I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. You don't have to fly all the way to France to celebrate Bastille Day. There are celebratory events right here in New York City. We'll hear about Brooklyn's spin on the holiday in just a moment. Also today, parlez-vous français? No? Then join us for a lesson in the French language later in the show. We'll also meet a crepe chef in New York City, learn about one of America's favorite Frenchmen, and find out how to meet an expat for friendship or more. That's all coming up on Cityscape. Glad you're with us. If you want to immerse yourself in French culture, head to Brooklyn this weekend for a Bastille Day celebration of grand proportions. It takes place along Smith Street in Carroll Gardens, where crowds come out to play Pétanque, a distant relative of horseshoes. George Forgeois owns a bistro called Bar Tabac, which is one of the event's sponsors. I spoke with him by phone earlier this week. Bonjour. What is Pétanque? Pétanque uh, is basically we have a small ball, cochonnet, and then uh, each player has three balls, metal balls, you know, and we have to come as close to the cochonnet as possible. And whoever is the closest... Uh, get a point. So usually you play with two people, three people. Uh, in this case, it's three people, you know, so it's three against three. We have two balls each, and uh, the points depend on how many balls are close to the uh, cushioning. Is it a hard game to learn? Uh, it's very easy to play, but it's like every sport, uh, it's very hard to master it. It takes years. So these folks are, I mean, they're doing a lot of practicing then. Oh, yeah. You have people paying all year long to just win a championship, you know. How long have you been hosting this event there in uh, Brooklyn? About uh, nine years, eight years, I would say. Almost since uh, the restaurant opened, you know. And how does this year's tournament differ from years past? Well, the thing is that every year it grew in pop- popularity, you know. Because it's a very relaxed atmosphere, uh, I mean, every year we have more people, you know. Two years ago, we had the son of uh, President Sarkozy who showed up. <laughs> that was uh, quite a steer, you know. We had the mayor of Brooklyn showing up also. I mean, we have stars coming. Everybody show up, you know, in short. Uh, and you hang out all day long, you know. The people who play at the beginning is just to play, to have fun. The first three hours is to have fun. Then there's elimination, and after that, you have really the people who play well, the professional. And it's a pleasure just to sit around and to watch them playing, you know. So it's one part party, one part tournament. Yes. I mean, at the beginning, I would say half the players at the beginning don't know, are not really good, you know. But they come and they play for three hours. They enjoy it, you know. And uh, after that, of course, they get eliminated because they're not that good. But then people sit around, have a drink, a beer, a merguez, you know, a sandwich, and they they watch the Masters playing. Do you play, George? I do. And how well do you play? How would you describe your... Not that well. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to be better than that, but uh, uh, I'm not that good. 
What's Plus, the... I get distracted because I run the show also. So. Right, right. You got yeah. too many. Th- you got things going on there. Yeah. What's the best drink to be nursing while playing a round of pétanque? Oh, Ricard, of course. What is that? Ricard. It's an anise drink. You know, you put uh, you put one fifth uh, Ricard and then uh, four fifth uh, uh, water with it. You know, we have to be careful because uh, you know it's like vodka. If you have a few. Uh, can be very damaging. <laughs> I'm sure it can be damaging to your pétanque game. Yes. Well, how would you describe the taste of that? The taste is very anise. You know, they have the same thing in Greece. It's an anise liquor. It comes from a plant. You know, it's yellow. And uh, I would say that you, you hate it or you love it. It's very particular, you know. What time do the events get started? We start at 12. And uh, we finish around 8, 9 o'clock. Okay, so pretty much an all-day event there. All day, all day. And we don't have enough time to have everybody play also. Okay, George, anything else you'd like to add? No, no, no. I mean, I hope uh, we see you there and you can play with us. George, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. George Fourgeois owns Bar Tabac in Brooklyn and is one of the hosts of tomorrow's Bastille Day celebration in Carroll Gardens. A lot of Americans say the French are rude, and the French often say similar things about us. But perhaps we should all take a lesson from George Washington and the Marquis de Lafayette. The two were the best of friends, and we have Lafayette to thank for helping to secure our nation's independence. There are scores of streets and monuments dedicated to Lafayette across the U.S., including here in New York. I caught up with historian Cal Snyder in Manhattan's Union Square Park near a statue of the Marquis. It's fair to say, I think, that uh, although hardly any Americans remember him today, there wouldn't have been an America without Lafayette. He came at a time, at the darkest time of the Revolution, with Washington virtually prostrate at Valley Forge, and his men starving and defeated. And Lafayette arrives bringing not only his own hopes and idealism and energy and youth, but also a million dollars of his own money and a pledge that the the government of France would assist him in his struggle uh, for liberty. Of course, for the French, it was much more a struggle against English uh, maritime supremacy and and a battle over the destiny of the New World. But for Lafayette, it was always an idealized struggle about the freedom of men. Did he have to fight to win the confidence of George Washington? Of course, Washington, who was a hardened and highly sobered man by by the time that Lafayette met him, had always been an ideal for Lafayette. Lafayette had dreamed of meeting Washington, and of course the two of them became uh, the deepest and closest of friends and compatriots. Uh, Lafayette named his children after George Washington. And uh, they had the most profound friendship through all the rest of their life. Washington was an ideal for Lafayette because he was the one, unlike Jefferson or, or, or Franklin or Hamilton or Madison um, uh, or Paine or any of the other philosophers of the Revolution and of the idea of America, uh, Washington was the one because of his personal heroism and his personal rectitude Um, and his willingness to put himself on the line for the ideals that others had professed, that really attracted Lafayette's sense of romance and destiny. And he fought battles here in America. Oh, he did. Um, Among the many things that that have been forgotten about Lafayette is that he, he was not a toy soldier. 
And at the very end, uh, down in Virginia, when Cornwallis had been mousetrapped, uh, largely by uh, Lafayette's own stratagems, he led the bayonet charges uh, at the end of the fighting to overwhelm the British defenses. He was a he was a true soldier and a brave man. Cal, why do you think it is that Lafayette has sort of faded into history here in the United States? The simplest and I, I think most obvious reason is that Americans are so ahistorical as a people. Um, you know, we we are relentlessly forward moving. We we see history not necessarily as something disposable, but something to be used and consumed and uh, always reinvented. That all being said, someone did recognize the importance of Lafayette, otherwise the statue wouldn't be here in Union Square Park. The 19th century, from the years just before the Civil War uh, and right on through uh, the end of what's called the American Bronze Renaissance in the 1920s and 30s, was the time when the civic elites of New York first came into the possession of a vision of what New York might be. They wanted it to be uh, a city with a history. You know, cities require a history uh, even more than nations in order to live. The sculptural landscape of New York, which is the single greatest sculptural and historic landscape in the United States and rivals those of of Paris and London, thousands of uh, statues and monuments and tributes to our past was a creation of the 19th century civic elites and, and uh, urban and uh, uh, visionaries, uh, the same kind of people who gave us the City Beautiful movement and who created the parks, uh, who created the great public buildings and the Beaux-Arts legacy that we all love when we go around the city. Some of it, too, was just the ambition of New York, the unbridled ambition of New York as a commercial center uh, without much consciousness of its own past or the past at all. But it wanted to be a rival to London and Paris and, and Rome. It, it, it wanted to be a city filled with imperial boilerplate. Uh, and it wanted to be able to buy and to display everything about its own virtues that it believed was important. This statue comes in right at the very cusp of the height of that era, the Gilded Age. Uh, uh, the era after the Civil War when New York becomes the Empire City. Uh, the apotheosis of what the modern city might be, the city of immigrants, the city of unparalleled wealth and power, uh, the the center of political life, the center of of American cultural uh, life. And, of course, it's about to become uh, symbolically the portal of America with the the delivery of the Statue of Liberty in in, in uh, 1886. And that's part of the story of this statue. You know, how Bartoli, the sculptor uh, of the, uh, and creator of the Statue of Liberty, was trying desperately to, to sell his concept to the Americans. And he couldn't, he was having the devil of the time, you know. Nobody really liked the idea. It was really too grandiose, even for America of its time. And, and nobody wanted to pay for it. In 1876, uh, which is the year that this statue was dedicated here in the park and given to the city by Bartoli. Uh, in 1876, we, we was also the, 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 the centennial of the of American independence, uh, and the and the uh, to mark the anniversary, America created the Philadelphia Exposition of, of 1876, which was the greatest cornucopia of American uh, power, 
uh, industrial might and consumer uh, potential that the world had ever seen. The Philadelphia Exposition, which really sets the background of this statue so perfectly, was the place uh, where the electric light was demonstrated, the sewing machine, uh, the automatic scroll saw, the telephone. I mean, it's hard to think of something that was invented in the, in the, in the late 19th century uh, that didn't appear at the Philadelphia Exposition. And one of the things that appears at the Philadelphia Exposition is the arm and the torch cast by Bartoli of the Statue of Liberty, which he has sent over here to display it uh, in hopes that Americans will become interested in this idea uh, and contribute money for its completion. Well, he wasn't very successful. Uh, then, at least, it took a long, long time before people got behind the idea of the Statue of Liberty. He gave this Lafayette to New York in hopes of stimulating uh, the civic elites to an interest in, the, in his larger project and his larger ambitions. Describe this statue for us. This is radio, of course, so we can't see it. Well, we can. Our listeners can. Right. It's a, a beautifully maintained and, and, and restored uh, bronze a statue, slightly larger than life-size, uh, of Lafayette as he appeared in America in 1777. But the statue, as we see it, um, shows Lafayette uh, as Bartoli posed him in a kind of classical uh, contrapposto. Um, people who are familiar with the work of Michelangelo and his figures, particularly the David, uh, will know what that is. Um, he, he's posed uh, on the prow of his ship as it's arriving in the New World and looking out, leaning forward in, 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 his, in his embrace of America, uh, the America he dreams of and the liberty that he is seeking, um, and to signify these things and his pledge, uh, his pledge, his idealism and his, and his faith. Bartoldi shows him clutching his sword to his heart. Uh, so there's this marvelous, heroic uh, set of sort of heroic and, and romantic illusions uh, that are built into the statue. There's a classical tradition and the traditions of the Ecole des Beaux-Arts in, in Paris, uh, the traditions that go back into the neoclassical revival in Europe and America, and then back, of course, into the idealism of, of Roman republicanism from where most of these virtues and these forms emerged. Is this the only statue of Lafayette in New York City, or are there others? Well, we're blessed to have three. There's another by Bartoli, which is uh, a marvelous work. In a sense, uh, this uh, Lafayette, this, this, this figure, which stands, is Lafayette standing alone, feels when you've seen the other Bartoli uh, as though it were taken from that other work, because the other work shows at the 114th Street entrance to Morningside Park in Upper Manhattan shows the moment when Lafayette and Washington meet. And Lafayette's posed in very much the same format as he is here. Where is the third statue of Lafayette? The third one is a, is a, a far, far more profound work of aesthetic art. Um, it's a, a very large bronze tableau uh, set in a beautiful stone uh, enclosure at the 9th Street Gate of Prospect Park in Brooklyn. Uh, it's by Daniel Chester French, who was our preeminent civic uh, uh, worker in bronze from the time, uh, uh, certainly one of them, from the time that he created the Minuteman, also in 1876, at the year of the centennial, uh, the Minuteman that stands in the Concord Bridge 
um, and marks the moment of the revolution. Most Americans who are not familiar with him will know him as the creator of the Lincoln Memorial. His work of Lafayette in, that now stands in Prospect Park is a, a high-relief tableau uh, in which uh, Lafayette is shown on the field of war, uh, standing with his sword, unsheathed, um, looking out over the battlefield uh, with his uh, groom and his horse, his beautiful uh, horse, uh, battle, horse of war, ranged behind him. Cal Snyder, thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. My pleasure. And viva la France. Cal Snyder is a historian and the author of Out of Fire and Valor, the war memorials of New York City from the Revolution to 9-11. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Bonjour once again. I'm George Borarki. If you love watching subtitled movies with Audrey Tattoo or sipping French wine on a warm summer evening, you may want to meet someone with similar likes for friendship or maybe something a little bit more. I don't know. Writer Andrea Chalupa offers some advice on how to meet the garçon or fee, boy or girl, of your dreams. When I went to France one summer, I came back with a Parisian boyfriend in a long-distance relationship. Suddenly it seemed like everyone in New York was French, or longing to be. It turns out New York and Paris are sister cities, or rather, a long, hot love affair, the step of Aries and Aphrodite. New York may be a melting pot, but France enjoys a quiet stronghold, with a bistro practically in every block. While Paris watches over R. Mark Jacobs and David Sedaris, New York gives France's former first lady, Cecilia sarkozy Attias her morning jog an eternal sunshine of the spotless mind filmmaker Michel Gondry, an endless playground for the imagination. Luckily for us jaded New Yorkers, we're right at home with French cynicism and love of intellectual conversation. And the Frenchies love us for our hotspot, only they call it Saint-Jean. Whether you're in search of the endless charm of a love affair with a French person, or a reverse green card, here are a couple tips for dating French people in New York. First, know that they stick together. Checking out an early Cédric Clapiche film at Alliance Française, attending a New York French social meetup, or crashing a party at Acaille, a social organization for French people, or hunting with other Francophiles at French Tuesdays, it's important to know that like any community abroad, the French travel in herds. Where there's one, there's plenty more where he or she came from. Thanks to my French boyfriend, who now lives in New York, I still managed to be one of the only English speakers at many a wine-drenched party. If any neighborhood in Manhattan deserves the label Little Paris, it would be the Lower East Side. Sure, the Upper East has its share of bistro after bistro, thanks to the mothership Alliance Francaise being on 60th Street. But it's the LES that gives you sexy, salty, jazz-infused Paris. The blog, Paris in New York, points to over a dozen hotspots where you're sure to overhear French swelling from tables or see men and women take a break from their meals to smoke a cigarette outside. My absolute favorite just based on personal history, is Café Charbon, the proper name being Epicary and Café Charbon, where the bubbly laid-back waiters are chill enough to let you practice your bad French, and the dining room is a throwback to a quaint grocery, and the dark bar with its palm trees makes you feel like you're in Casablanca or someplace a 25-year-old Ernest Hemingway used to drink. The way to a French person's heart is their stomach. This cannot be stressed enough. The French are a country obsessed with food, talking about it and eating. How else do they stay so slim? They have a healthy relationship with food, good food, the au naturel. 
if you promise to shop from Dean and DeLuca, a fine store in New York that closely resembles the grocery stores the French are accustomed to, then ask them to show you how to cook. Every one of them knows something. Even Ratatouille is just throwing veggies into a pot. Now, here are some curveballs you can throw your Frenchie once you have Elle or Louis in your crosshairs. Don't gush over Paris. It's boring because they get it all the time, and he or she may be from Lille. Instead, tell them that Zidane, or rather Zizou's, footwork belongs in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It does. Then follow this up by shaking your head at the Italians. Also, the French love or know how to rock dance, which is a more upright version of swing dancing. They grow up, especially as teenagers, rock dancing. It's something they do at any age at weddings. So get them to show you some of that dance le rock. Also, it's important to know that Serge Gainsbourg was a musical genius with the potency of Michael Jackson, Andy Warhol, and chain-smoking Frank Sinatra in one. Get a load of his song, New York, USA. New York, New York, USA. And today, the French love to DJ, and they love their electronic music. If you're already obsessed with Daft Punk and Dimitri from Paris, may I recommend Martin Solveig and Bob Sinclair, Africanism Project 2. It'll make you want to go to Miami, a place French people and New Yorkers love. And once you're ready to take the encounter up a notch, blow smoke gently in his or her face and purr. Tu es mignon. You're cute. This basically lets them know that you want to be kissed, or worse, and that someone told you that as adolescents, the French blow smoke in the face is a form of seduction. It's still a cute gesture that shows. I'm one step ahead of you, Frenchie. Andrea Chalupa is a writer here in New York City. As Andrea said, the Alliance Francaise on the Upper East Side is something of a mecca for French expats and francophiles here in New York City. The Institute holds regular French film screenings, conversation hours, and speakers. Cityscape's Ellen Burke visited a beginner French class at the Institute. When I walk in the Alliance Francaise, the receptionist greets me with a bonsoir instead of good evening. She switches to English, but when I ride the elevator up to Giselle Aceremo Morang's adult beginner French class, English takes a back seat as Giselle says bonsoir and reminds the students of her name. Bonsoir à tout le monde. But once we made it past the bonsoir, conversation gets a little more difficult. Giselle emphasizes immersion or only speaking French in the classroom. For a group of people that have only spent a few hours studying French, that definitely means some pauses in the conversation. But student Stephen Hearn of Manhattan wasn't complaining. I've been to France many times, and I've uh, struggled when I was there, So, and I've always thought it would be great to be able to speak another language, and this was close in the neighborhood, so I thought I'd walk down and try it. What about the immersion? Do you like that? Um, I didn't think that I would, but I really think that it makes sense to me when you first... Because I've tried it the other way, and you, you sit and you take, you listen, all, you write down all the notes and how to say the present tense and the past tense. But this is something that you would, I think, you'd use more in everyday conversation. Here's Stephen practicing introducing himself to another student with a little coaxing from Giselle, their instructor. Bonsoir. Oui. Je m'appelle Stephen. Oui. Comment vous vous appelez? Je m'appelle Courtney. Voilà. Okay. <laughs> Très bien. The 
part of the class after introductions is familiar to anyone who studied a foreign language. Giselle points to different letters of the alphabet, and the students have to remember how to pronounce them. But with a G that sounds like J and a J that sounds like J, keeping a straight face is hard. After going over the basics, the students move on to slightly more complicated topics. They match pictures to French vocab words and discuss well-known French books. But when the conversation drifts from French to Franglish, Giselle switches to English to get the class back on track. If you always have a train of thought that goes a side comment, always coming in English, it means one thing, you are thinking in English. You're not probably making it optimal reception for French. And you might be working against yourself. Okay? With that reminder, the English remarks taper off and the students promise to try harder. It seemed like the Franglish had been unintentional because everyone was enthusiastic about the subject. My name is Paula Murray and I live in Brooklyn. I was learning French a couple of years ago and I stopped so I decided to pick it back up again. I really, really enjoy the class. It's, it's a lot of fun. As the class starts winding down, Giselle asks each student to sum up France in one word. The answers say something about France and the students. For me, French is sports. Wine. Fashion. Literature. Pour moi, la France, History. And Roland Garris, the stadium where the French Open is played. Giselle rapped on the board to let the class know she was giving the weekend's homework assignment. And just like in any class, I could hear an audible grumble from the students. But even with an assignment looming ahead, Jeff Barson from Jersey City gave the class a bon review. I'm going to France for six weeks uh, this fall, and I've always had such a difficult time with the pronunciation of the French language and thought a basic knowledge would be, would help, be helpful. Well, I just, I'm, I'm really enjoying the, immer- the immersion style. It was a shock when she first walked in the first day. I really thought I was in the wrong class because the teacher, just Giselle, just spoke in French totally for the first 15 minutes, and I thought, oh my God, I'm in the wrong place. But uh, I realize it's, it's the right way to learn, I think. Kind of like being in France. This beginner French class at the Alliance Francaise will meet twice a week until September. The Alliance Francaise is holding its annual Bastille Day bash tomorrow on East 60th Street with French music, a bulls contest, and a wine and cheese tasting. For Cityscape, I'm Ellen Burke. Can you say the alphabet in French? It's easy if you say the alphabet in rhythm. Listen to me. A, B, C, D, U. J, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, B, W, X, Y, Z. You don't need to speak French to enjoy the country's cuisine, and a good crepe isn't hard to find in New York City. We even have a French cafe on wheels. We hopped on board with the chef. 
it's it would translate loosely i think as pancake it's the same kind of batter in a way and it's the same kind of of use so my name is robert arbor i'm from uh, i was born in fontainebleau but i left france when i was uh, 18 and started to travel around and then i ended up in new york city this is a savory crepe batter a base the basic ingredient are eggs all-purpose flour buckwheat flour milk and then you know little things salt uh, pepper um, uh, seasoning of sort you know when i do little uh, recipe at home because even though i am supposed uh, to know it by heart and everything i basically just google crepes you know c-r-e-p-e-s i let it cook for about one two three four five seconds and then I would put my stuffing in it. Okay, so I shall put the cheese, Swiss cheese. And this, this is a little bit like, you know, a pizza in a way. You know, it's kind of a French calzone <laughs> of sort. Then I fold it, all right? Ah, then I fold it. <laughs> I love radio. There's no picture, so <laughs> you can just talk and do something else. <laughs> But here, voila. Now we just let it melt. So we put ham and cheese in there. Uh, we could have put goat cheese and leek, chicken, ratatouille, endless, basically, what you can do. Let's all have some. <laughs> that ham and cheese is the standard, the basic, just like the plain pizza. Bon appetit. <laughs> Robert Arbor owns a French cafe on wheels and a few stationary ones, too, called La Gamène. You can track him and his truck on Twitter under La Gamène Truck. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to producers Alan Burke, Mary Wilson, and Andrew Hirschman. Au revoir. Voilà le portrait sans retouche de l'homme auquel j'appartiens.